So, um, I'd like to um, share, um, I think, several ideas around the one theme tonight that I've been exploring, I mean, the whole time of my practice, basically, but um, a lot in the last uh, few months. Um, and uh, again, I was reflecting on what I want to share with you guys. And uh, it seemed like this uh, seemed very important to me to, to, to share on this subject. Um, um, so tonight I'd like to talk about um, clinging or attachment this um, mental event that happens. It's a small little thing that happens in the mind and uh, creates um, a lot of, uh, what's the word in English? Havoc. Havoc. Yeah. So it creates a lot of trouble, a lot of stress and suffering and uh, is at the center of uh, our difficulties in life. And so this attachment or in the vernacular, I think uh, we can say this, um, instead of this attachment or clinging, we can say this freaking out about, <laughs> this getting bugged by, this getting stuck in with, uh, this, uh, the little list, yeah, this uh, getting tight around, yeah. This is like in the gross uh, forms uh, of uh, clinging. And so I'd like to explore this and also the most subtle forms of clinging known as um, um, identification or um, appropriation or possession of uh, things that ultimately cannot be uh, really owned truly. So we'll, I'd like to look at the whole spectrum of this. Yeah. Uh, so this is a teaching that is known as the four uh, um, attachments. Yeah. So uh, attachments to um, sense pleasure. Attachment, and lo look at your own inner reaction, because for me there is inner reaction. Just when I'm reading the list, and I've, I've been giving this teaching uh, here and there now for a few months, uh, talking about this and considering ideas around this, and... I, I like to just read the, say the list because I, I checked in me how right away when I say attachment to Saint Pleasure, it's like, of course, you know, it's so gratifying, you know, <laughs> or something like this. Yeah, what are you talking about? Of course. You know? <laughs> so attachment to sense pleasure, attachments to views and opinions. Does that resonate? Yeah, and uh, and you know the attachment, the clinging. Often, uh, maybe not always, but often, there's actually a felt sense to it, a, a physical sense to it. You know, when we get a little tight around something, we can feel it, and sometimes we can even see it in others. Uh, not very long ago, I was talking with somebody, and suddenly something was said, and I saw the person go like this. Suddenly, they're, they're in the exchange, their face had changed. There was like, 
and I could I could um, note, you know, uh, clinging is happening here. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a somebody's in shock here. Like something is not processing. You know, and uh, this is beautiful practice because in the instruction we are invited to actually um, uh, know internally. Uh, the, the suffering and the release from suffering and the, what the qualities of mind that are wholesome, generosity and, and friendliness. And it's also instructed that we should see it externally, see it in others. So our practice is not just limited to this, you know, it's also, uh, and maybe more when we go in the world, or uh, it's, uh, our, we're invited to bring our mindfulness to uh, the person we're talking with, to the the, the group we're uh, sitting with or mm, having a meeting with and to uh, the society we live, live in. Yeah? So our, uh, our, uh, the invitation to develop mindfulness is extremely wide. Now we kind of limit it because there's enough uh, damage happening here <laughs> that we can, uh, we can uh, s- uh, see, uh, um, explore more uh, specifically. But, uh, so back to the list, attachment to... Uh, uh, sense pleasure to views and opinions, uh, attachments to um, attachment to. Uh, classically, it's uh, in this um, list. It's uh, known as uh, attachment to rites and rituals, and in there, I'd like to uh, include conventions, attachments, or clinging to norms, uh, and to um, yeah, convention. And we'll talk more about this in a few minutes if it's not. Uh, already, uh, if, if it, there's not so much clarity around this. And then the fourth one is um, kind of the most subtle and sometimes not subtle at all, but uh, um, tricky maybe I could say part is attachment and clinging to uh, um, uh, self and uh, me, mine and moi, you know. And so, and the little laugh indicates for me that uh, there's a recognition of something rich in there. <laughs> yeah. A whole area of exploration. So that's, that's a lot of things. So, um. There is a word um, th- that we often translate by clinging or grasping, and I've, I'm I'm very loose here. I'm I'm not very uh, I'm not a scholar at all. I'm a practitioner and somebody who likes to uh, investigate their life and apply the teaching, make them applicable. So I might have not exact precision here, but there's a word in Pali that uh, is upadana, and it's trans- often we translate it by attachment or, or um, clinging or grasping. But a literal translator, translation of this word is fuel. So we could understand this as what is the fuel for misery, for suffering, for stress? Yeah? And the fuel is the, this clinging that happens in the mind. For example, in, um, in, the, in our society, there's a lot of value giving to uh, um, thirst, this kind of wanting and desire that I have to have this. My happiness uh, uh, will happen when I have this, when I am this, when I get this. Yeah? Do you recognize some of this? Yeah? So that's like kind of the general way we see uh, happiness, the way, the path to happiness in our society. In Buddhism, my understanding is it's slightly different 
that we go through non-thirst. Uh, so we let go, we try to see the suffering, the stress that there is in this. My happiness is not here, but it will be here when this is there. Yeah? That I like to, uh, for me, what brings, uh, mm, what is sobering for me when there's like, I need to have this, or I need this to not be here for me to be happy. So it's presenting to me like um, a kind of, uh, it's showing me where happiness is. It says, Pascal, when you get this, you will experience happiness. And what is sobering for me is to, to kind of stop and feel the feeling of this one thing, this form of clinging. And then what I tend to experience immediately is lack, is an absence of happiness, an absence of ease, stress. Yeah. So everything that we're presenting this week, and maybe especially tonight, you are invited to... Um, to consider this, not take this for um, cash. Is that the way I could say this? <laughs> for, you know, like you, you need to use discernment here and listen. I think somebody mentioned this. It's Dory on the first evening. about, uh, um, And that's what I like about this practice, by the way. This practice, this method that we're developing here is a method where we gain independence. That's why I love this practice, because it's not about believing, following. It's about a method or of looking as, at reality so that I can see for myself what is what. Yeah? So as you listen tonight, you are um, applying mindfulness. You're, you are aware of the ideas that are being presented and also aware of the repercussion or impact or how it touches you. And you might sometimes recognize, God, this is so well said. This is so it. And at other times, mm. <laughs> not sure about this piece, you know. And, and even might be clearly like, no, not this, not this. I clearly instantaneously recognize that this doesn't apply for me. I want to put this in the garbage, you know. And that is okay, yeah. Um, so uh, this idea of non-thirst, of actually um, uh, being completely engaged with reality, or at least that's the way I understand this, being completely engaged with what's happening and uh, receiving this fully, and from there, from this uh, receptivity that is... Uh, has penetration to it, depth to it, then what is the appropriate response? And another thing that I want to um, maybe demystify or clarify, if I can, right now, is um, because we spend a lot of time putting um, emphasis on listening, receiving, uh, and, you know, we sit formally, we don't, uh, we just um, sit like this and receive sensation, receive ideas and, and all this there might, could be in some of us, this understanding that um, the perfect way to live as a wise being or a Buddhist being would be to actually receive all the time and just receive and accept everything, you know. My understanding of this practice is that we're developing an amazing capacity to receive reality. That's part one. Part two 
is to engage in reality because we have all the tools to receive reality. We have these six senses that are uh, open and receiving information all the time. But we also have a whole other set of tools in there, intention, engagement, arms, voice, uh, to actually be engaged in the world. So uh, why at least I do this practice, my ultimate goal of this practice is appropriate response. So receiving the world in order to engage it in it in a way that is beneficial for myself and beneficial for others in order to foster ease in here and maybe in the way I think about it these days is to foster um, safety and protect, protection around me and ease in others also. Yeah. So you're seeing now that I'm actually using this talk to put all my little messages in there and I'm not doing this very subtly but uh, check that one done. <laughs> So, okay, the list. <laughs> so, sense pleasure. The standard, and many of you know this, the standard reaction that we often have when uh, the ear, the eyes, uh, the taste, uh, the, the body receive a pleasant uh, contact, pleasant, uh, pleasant experience. Uh, often there will be a, a clinging that will happen. Mm. How can I get more of this? How can I keep this going? You know? So there's this little perversion that happens of like <laughs> clinging. Yeah? So that doesn't happen all the time, and it does happen some of the time. And it's for us in our practice as we're here this week and for the rest of our life to be attuned to that, to see this happen. When suddenly there's something heard and the mind goes like, you know, it kind of grasps this, you know, this is it. This is going to provide my happiness. I have to strategize to multiply this, get more of it, keep it, protect it, you know. So that's a standard thing that will happen, and it doesn't happen all the time, but it will. And we have all our favorite places for uh, clinging around this, yeah? So we're very invested in pleasant I mean, it makes total sense. It makes total sense because we have these six senses. I was saying this, I think, in the meta um, uh, sitting yesterday. We have these doors, these six doors that are constantly open to the world. And through the eyes comes beauty, ugliness. To the ears comes pleasant, unpleasant. To the body, as in you know this, you know, unpleasantness, how hard it is to have a body. And so there's, there's and the body can provide uh, um, ease and, and pleasantness, and also it can, uh, it can be an experience of difficulty to be there. Same thing in the mind, the ideas that cross the mind, some are pleasant to receive and some are difficult to receive. States of mind, all this that is uh, there. So of course, you know, one would think like, okay, so, let me aim towards the pleasant, you know, because it's, it's a lot easier to bear. You know, it's actually enjoyable. There's a real um, gratification in it. It's tr truly real that it, it is pleasant. You know, it, it, it feels pleasant. It's not just an idea. Like we have a complete experience of beautiful music or, or you know, things like this. It is truly pleasant. So, of 
it kind of makes sense that we would put all our eggs in that basket, you know, that we would invest a lot in this. Yeah? And even the Buddha at some point, I think, reflects, he says, why am I doing this? Why do I keep going towards uh, this? It's because uh, there's, um, this, the gratification in this is very clearly known, but I do not know the danger of this. If I knew the danger of this, I would find an escape from this, and this being the clinging to pleasant, not the pleasant itself. Yeah? And tonight, when I'm talking about this list, it's not about get, letting go or getting rid of pleasantness or views and opinions or, or anything like this. It's about um, letting go of the clinging, which is the suffering, not the pleasantness. That's very important. Because somebody could get like, oh, pleasant is dangerous, I shouldn't feel pleasantness. It's actually impossible because we don't control the environment so much that we could avoid pleasantness in all our life. Pleasantness is going to happen, you know. So the idea is not to avoid pleasantness, it's to know the danger of it. And when I say danger, you might be like, what's that? It's crazy, you know, pleasantness. So let me uh, explore this a bit with you. So in pleasantness, um, at the sense door, you know, pleasantness of the eyes, of the, at the ear door, taste, smells, pleasant smells, pleasant ideas uh, in the sixth sense of the mind, and pleasant... Uh, this uh, pleasantness is actually, um, when we look at it closely, extremely unreliable. Or have you noticed? <laughs> it's dependent. Yeah? It's, uh, uh, it can turn very quickly. And sometimes, like I have an example I like to give. Imagine somebody that you like a lot, who's um, stroking your hair. <laughs> so they stroke your hair, and it's extremely pleasant. You know, they do it at the right pressure and speed. And, <laughs> and so it's very pleasant. And imagine uh, the same action four hours later. <laughs> you know? The pleasantness, it's not a given that this is pleasant. It's pleasant some of the times, and sometimes it's not pleasant, you know? <laughs> and so it's very unreliable. And this is at, at, at all, like you eat, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the chocolate cake or something like this, and, and, uh, and then it's gone. You know, the pleasantness is not, uh, has not duration to it. Or if you get to have five of these chocolate cakes, you know, at some point, some other kind of suffering will show up, you know? <laughs> so, uh, it's very, uh, we say it's very unreliable. You go see a movie, I have like kind of entertainment, uh, little uh, examples now, but it goes much further than this. But you go see a movie, you choose the movie that you like, you connect with this a director and what they say and how they present ideas and stuff. And you go there and some, something happens. It's too cold in there. Somebody's coughing. The, 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 something cuts and they can't finish the movie. You know, like, it's dependent. You cannot control completely this uh, pleasantness. Yeah? I'll give you another example that is a little bit more uh, kind of dramatic, I would say. Um, a few weeks ago... Uh, 
I was with my partner and we had the chance to go in the countryside in nature to um, uh, a river where there is, um, there is waterfalls. And uh, it's actually extremely beautiful. And uh, the fun thing that you can do because of the pressure of the water, there's a kind of a wall of uh, the waterfall and you can actually uh, go under or be, uh, behind and then kind of hide in this little cave and there's a sheet of water in front of you and, and it's very beautiful. So I was with my partner in nature and so it was extremely enjoyable, enjoyment of the senses, yeah? And so maybe there was a little clinging there or, or not, but uh, anyway, I take the camera out and I start uh, taking picture of my partners next to the getting in the, sh in the, in the waterfalls, getting out and laughing and sitting on the rocks. And, and, <laughs> and, it, and it's, uh, it's, it's fun. We're happy. But then a little further uh, down the river, there was a group of uh, young men who were there and were watching us. And, uh, and at some point they got, they understood that there was some love going on there, some, uh, something romantic going on. Although there was no uh, kissing happening, and it could have been, I mean, it would have been legal, but at this point there was not even that. It was just uh, a man taking pictures of another man, and maybe too many pictures. <laughs> So apparently we had, uh, we had crossed the norm, you know, the kind of agreement that a woman can take picture of their boyfriend, especially if they're young, and, uh, or, you know, what, whatever kind of norms there might be, or that the, a man can take picture of a woman, but that actually two guys taking, care, taking pictures of each other was actually uh, unacceptable. So they started shouting things, and... Uh, and uh, doing gestures, and I couldn't hear the actual words because the, of the waterfalls. But the enjoyment of nature, the, the beauty of the sun, and, the, and the, that was gone. It was, it was not there anymore, I didn't have access to this. It was replaced by um, uh, some sense of fear, and some sense of unfairness, and uh, some sense of sh shame also. Suddenly I was... Uh, feeling sh ashamed of being who I was, you know. And, and all these uh, very difficult mind states, or difficult mind state came, yeah? So uh, the idea of putting all the eggs in the same basket of sense pleasure is actually not going to do it if we're looking for a deeper kind of happiness, yeah? Because uh, it's unreliable. Uh, you, you cannot count on this all the time. And at this point, it was gone. I didn't have access to the enjoyment of that. But what uh, kind of... Um, and I don't know if the word happiness fits there, but uh, what else did I have access to? I think because of my practice, I, uh, because of spending a lot of time clarifying in this heart-mind what... Uh, was beautiful, what was um, bringing clarity uh, to, to this life. I think I was able, and maybe not immediately, but very uh, uh, soon, I was able to um, first read the situation and understand that it was not time to confront or engage because being isolated in nature, there was some kind of danger there, maybe. You know, I didn't want to... So there was an understanding that it would be a better, better idea to actually put the camera away and not... Because uh, this seemed to be um, um, fueling the, 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 
what was going on. And in this condition, it seemed like a good thing to do. And then to actually sit and reflect on what was going on and bring a lot of care to this being. You know, oh, Pascal, this is a difficult situation to be in. It's difficult to be in this uh, kind of situation of oppression and caring a lot about this being there and this other being was there. And... Uh, and uh, having clarity about, uh, about the fact that this being had the right to live and the right to uh, experience life the way they, they were doing and that uh, there was nothing wrong about what was going on, you know? And clarity about this. And also I remember sitting there and thinking, wow, this is an experience of oppression. As a white man, I don't have so many experiences of oppression, uh, maybe daily. And this is what a lot of people feel a lot of the time. And so it's actually good for me to touch into this so that I can be a better ally to other people who are oppressed later. You know? And so I don't know if I'm um, sharing with you the, um, this very different kind of happiness that has, is not dependent on the outside, but is, is uh, self-produced through wisdom and compassion and clarity of mind and uh, something of that nature where I could stand my ground very clearly and I didn't even have to engage at this point because it didn't seem appropriate to do so, but to know that this being was beautiful in a way, you know, and had the right to live and to be there, and to be very, very clear about this, that the confusion was not here, but it was there at that moment, you know, that the hatred was out there, you know, and there was confusion there, and it didn't mean that these people were ugly forever, that the situation also, uh, and I was thinking, I think if there had been a family or two by the river around with kids, probably this wouldn't have happened. There was just these two gay men and these ten young men, and they felt empowered maybe by the presence of each other, and it was very uh, circumstantial, yeah? But to remain clear, so a deeper kind of um, freedom that is not depending on uh, good music or pleasant taste, that is dependent on uh, clarity of mind that can actually be developed, yeah? Hmm. The room dropped. Or am I thinking that? No, there's a little drop here. Yeah. Mm. So it says that uh, the pleasure that we get from the senses, it's known to be, we use this word dangerous, because uh, the, the enjoyment uh, in it uh, has a capacity to create some kind of addiction and we see this in our life. Yeah. And to the amount that I want pleasure, to the same amount, it's impossible to do otherwise, to the same amount, I'm going to fear unpleasant. So that puts me in a very strange situation where every time there is unpleasant, I fear I shut down. This is not the life I want to live. I want to live a full life where I can show up in every situation and have access to my whole being to respond in a clear way. And it doesn't mean that uh, 
I don't do anything to find some comfort in my life and be comfortable in, and enjoy things. But it means that when it's not there, there's something else that I invested in that can provide uh, a sense of being connected and being there 100% alive, you know, that there's not this sense of lack or, yeah. And this is a practice of a whole lifetime. So when we notice clinging, we don't want to judge. We want to be aware and wake up and see like, oh, here's a kind of clinging. I'm hooked on this, yeah. So one of the standardized reaction is when we meet pleasant to cling. And when we meet unpleasant, there's two tendencies that can be activated. And I want to touch on this because that's uh, very interesting. So it says the untrained mind, the untrained being will, uh, want, will refuse, will reject, will fear the unpleasantness, will freak out, you know. Uh, that's one of the tendency. And because the untrained mind or being doesn't know how else to go about this, they will turn toward pleasure. They will search for pleasure, pleasure to replace automatically. So do you see this in your own life when it gets a little uncomfortable, bad news on the phone, hang up the phone, open the fridge, hang up the phone, roll a joint, hang up the phone, go somewhere on the internet, that is not going to lead to freedom and uh, lasting happiness. Yeah? So it's good to see this in action, to see like, oh my God, I'm totally in line with the teaching as they were taught 2,600 years ago. People did do this also in their own ways. You know, they didn't know like, oh, bad news, let me fall asleep, you know? You know? <laughs> And I say this because I see myself do it, you know. I see how I do this, you know. Uh, little uh, little uh, unpleasantness of like uh, either on the verge of feeling lonely or not, not so much happening. Jump on the email. Make sure, you know, that I exist because somebody sent me something, you know. <laughs> yeah. So see this in action and see if there couldn't, this couldn't be slowed down a bit you know, or indulge just for a few minutes instead of the whole night, you know, and, and see, like, could I actually meet this experience? I have this lioness or this lion heart and courage to actually meet this experience and maybe see the passing nature, the wave-like nature of this experience, you know, that the upset from the phone call actually can reduce or... Some, something like this, your own uh, research around that. There's a little quote that I read somewhere in an old text that I like. If I can find it here. What, whatever being is greedy for fields, property, gold, cows, horses, you can see that, you know, it's a I didn't adapt it. It's an old version. Whatever being is greedy for fields, property, gold, cows, cows, horses, various objects of desire, the powerless overpower him or her. Overpower them. The powerless overpower them. Trouble press them down. Thus unease comes to them like water into a broken boat. 
when I read this, it really struck me. The powerless, something that has no power, we become overpowered by, overpowered by, a slave to, something that has no power in itself. Sometimes this wanting, this greed, or this aversion uh, that is difficult to feel, if you stop and feel this, like for example, the Vipassana romance or Vipassana vendetta, you know, the person you choose as your enemy and projecting on all the ugliness of the world on them, you know, they shouldn't be here, you know, or this person is it, you know, is my soul mate. Yeah. So sometimes you can feel the gratification of this. I'm right, they're wrong, that makes me feel so good, you know. I'm a good meditator, they're the worst participant of this <laughs> retreat. So it's important to feel the gratification in this. You know, there's an enjoyment in this. And to see maybe, well, maybe it's a kind of cheap enjoyment, you know. Do I really want that kind of enjoyment in my life, you know? Or the enjoyment of like, oh, I'm going to talk to them and they're perfect. And, and, but also see uh, the other aspect, the dukkha, the suffering aspect of it, the exhaustion of like, God, I don't have any mind space anymore. I've been thinking of this being, you know, all the time. It's taking all my head space. It's, it's Im- important to notice the suffering in this. And the letting go is not something we do. I don't believe anyway. It's not something that I've noticed. What I've noticed is that hanging out with the dukkha of clinging, being attentive to it, being courageous enough to feel it and see that it's lasting and lasting, is actually what will provide the conditions for its release. That at some point it goes like, ah, I can't anymore. I let go of that, you know. I don't mind if I don't get it, you know. Yeah. Mm. But this greed also, and uh, um, sometimes it's kind of in a latent form. It's not active, but what it does is, I've noticed, and see for yourself, what I've noticed is sometimes it kind of hijacks the senses. So when my senses, in the most, most noble way, could be used to understand the world, to discover uh, the world and how suffering happens and how suffering stress is released. When I could use all my senses for this, this is not how it's used. Often it's, these senses are hijacked by, it's used to find pleasant. So it's kind of become radar. You know, I'm doing my walking and I'm not discovering life here. I'm just like looking for things, you know, to cling to, you know. Something to not like or like, or you know, and you can see this. Sometimes the senses are transformed in this way. They're not used in their most noble way. There's, they're kind of they're led by addiction, and it's good to notice this if it's happening. And just don't judge. Just be see like, oh, okay, sobering here, you know, another bad news in the meditation world, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, views and opinions, because I must move on. So, views and opinions, 
Often what is thought is that, uh, or what we think rather, is that our views and opinions are based on uh, long reflections and uh, reasonable uh, assessment of what is what, you know. And in the Buddhist psychology we say, take a very close attention to the relationship between our views, opinion, points of views, and, um, and pleasant, unpleasant uh, feeling tone. Because often it's actually based in this. So, um, somebody comes late in the hall and they kind of bang the door as they come in. And suddenly I have this view and opinion that people shouldn't be late. They should really respect uh, the conventions that we have established, you know. And and, uh, my view is based on, you know, caring for everybody. But what is actually happening is that at the ear door it was unpleasant. And so there's just a form of clinging. So my opinion that I put on top is just a reactivity to, uh, to uh, uh, unpleasantness. Yeah? I'll give you another example. I'm watching the news. There's images of war. And uh, it's difficult images to look at. And I get really angry. And that war should finish. And I can't believe these guys are still there. And what is the power? Be- yeah. And actually, even though my point of view is around peace, is for peace and understanding. What is actually at play here is simple old reactivity to unpleasantness. It's hatred of the unpleasant images. It's not based on something much deeper, which is the recognition that suffering is happening and, uh, and the compassion that would arise from that that would allow actually for appropriate response. Instead of sitting on my sofa and talking to my friends, like, I can't believe they're such assholes, (laughs) and being right, uh, you know, I I could actually stop and say, God, I have to do something about what, where do I have power in this, you know? And maybe use my energy more skillfully. It says that our views and opinions in the spiritual path that we're in uh, is supposed to foster calm and peace and uh, freedom. So it's a very interesting thing to do to look how my views and opinion are actually uh, creating stress in my life and uh, uh, this clinging aspect of it. And again, it's not about not having views and opinions because... Uh, this guy behind me, the one in black, mm-hmm. there, is somebody that, from my point of view, had loads of views and opinion, loads of it, all day long, expressing views and opinion. No fool, you don't understand well. This is not what leads to what, you know. But maybe not the clinging aspect. Yeah. So that's certainly one piece of it. So it's totally okay to have views and opinions but how am I creating suffering around it for myself and for others? I think that's a very important aspect uh, to watch for. And it's said that uh, also uh, clinging to views, any views uh, is, is, is not going to be helpful, the clinging aspect. But clinging to wrong views, wrong understanding is even worse. Example of this. Clinging to the view that um, this, whatever it is, will bring complete satisfaction forever. 
this relationship, job, this apartment, if I get that one, you know, that I want, and uh, trying to get this neighborhood, this uh, whatever it is, that this will bring complete satisfaction forever. And sometimes we don't even know we have this view. Even intellectually, we wouldn't say that. But that's still the place we're coming from. So clinging to a view that satisfaction is possible in things of the world, you know, deep, lasting satisfaction, is, uh, we say, is, a f- is fold, is a fold view. Yeah? That this is not where the freedom and the lasting uh, um, peace will come from. And it can contribute, and it can contribute for a while, but, uh, or the, uh, the, the clinging to the view that this will be permanent, this is never going to change. Whatever this is, is a wrong view, because things change all the time. And sometimes we get fooled, we think this is forever. Or, worse than all the others, this that I'm about to do or say will have no consequences whatsoever. Sometimes we forget that the way we engage the mind, the way we engage this, our speech or enter uh, into action, is actually not having any repercussions. And so, in the teaching, my understanding of it anyway is that anything that I'm doing is actually a training. It's going to have a repercussion. So... Uh, sitting here, coming back to uh, uh, presence, waking up again, instead of being lost in my habitual patterns of thinking, to waking up, that actually actually it's meaningless, it doesn't mean anything, it just happened. No, it actually has an influence on the rest of my life. This little coming back here is a training of the mind. Or taking something that has not been offered and that I will spend the rest of uh, the evening justifying that it was fine that I took it, you know? that this is actually, doesn't count. You know, I'm a good person or I'm an honest person and I take this because I deserve it, you know. <laughs> like these kind of things do have repercussion on my mind and on others. And often we will trick ourselves, you know, we have good ethics, but suddenly like this little thing is a kind of a parenthesis, it doesn't really count. So I have the view that this doesn't count, when actually it does. And it's better that I know that it does, you know. And so, uh, to check this out for yourself, uh, how we can, uh, we can do this, like uh, uh, get outside of our beautiful uh, values for f- a few minutes or a few seconds, because what is at play here? Usually this greed, uh, something to defend, something to get, you know? I'm something who is very honest, but right here I, I just said something that is not the exact truth. What was at play here? There's something I wanted to preserve, an image of myself or something. I'm really into truth. You know, I go on retreat, I'm really into truth, but not, not that truth. This I want to, you know, cover a bit here because that's not so convenient, you know. Yeah. And I don't want to be harsh around this. I just want us to, to kind of wake up and bring a little bit of more consciousness around uh, these things. So maybe you want to reflect for a second, closing your eyes, or if you want. Or what views and opinions do I, I have, um, maybe around uh, 
politics <laughs> that uh, have maybe an aspect of clinging in them. What views and opinions uh, do I have about uh, my roommates, housemates, that have some kind of clinging in them? What views and opinions do I have about being here, about how things are done here, that have... uh, clinging in them, where there's tightness, there's uh, some kind of suffering in there. And think of, uh, let yourself uh, reflect a bit and find other areas of your, of your life around gender issues or work. And you can open your eyes again if you want. So these are a few thoughts around views and opinions. Um, now another one is um, rites and rituals and convention and norms. And uh, maybe I'll just tell you this little story that, uh, that I like so much. This uh, this also is happening a few thousands of years ago, and there's um, there's this young uh, woman, uh, Punika, who's uh, of the lowest caste in uh, caste in India, and she's going to fetch some water by the Ganges, and uh, it's five o'clock in the morning, it's freezing, and she gets to the water, and there's a Brahmin there of the highest caste who's doing his ablution. Uh, uh, and uh, she gets there, and she has. Um, I have the text here, but I don't. I don't want to read it. I, I want to do it for you. And but it's very close. It's kind of paraphrasing. But she has a lot of personality. This young uh, woman, and she gets to the water, and she's like, "What? What are you doing here? It's freezing here. What? What do you fear that you come down here? Uh, I I have no choice but to come here because I'm going to get beaten up and shouted at by the women of the high class. You know, if I don't get water by early morning, I'm going to get in trouble. But you, what, what's your what's your thing? You don't have to come here. You can relax up there, you know, in your house. And he's like, well, I'm doing my ablution. I'm cleaning uh, myself from my bad karma, you know, by uh, uh, cl- uh, bathing in the Ganges. I'm releasing all my bad actions and bad uh, words and bad you know, un, unuseful or deter, detrimental thoughts, you know. And, uh, and she said, you're, you're, you're completely crazy, man. It's like, if the water was to clean you from your, uh, your wrongful or hurtful actions, it would do the same for crocodiles and, you know, and, and uh, serial killers. And everybody could come down here, jump in, jump out, clean. You know, that doesn't add up, you know. If there's something you fear... Uh, the consequences of hello 
just don't do it, you know. And so, uh, and then he goes like, oh my God, thanks so much. You just <laughs> clarified things for me. And uh, just before, and he says, oh, take my robes. She said, I don't care, I don't want your robes. Just, just take care of your mind and, uh, and your speech and action. And, and by the way, check the Buddha Dharma Sangha. You might learn a few things there. And then she goes back up, you know. And so she's pointing to uh, uh, the fact that it's not a ritual that is going to release us from, from stuff that, that has power. And, but it might be very possible to actually do a ritual, and we have loads of them in our, uh, in our society, in our culture. Uh, but it's not the actual bathing. It might be that I put in three dimensions, I, I, I create this thing, this, this thing so that I can actually... Uh, express in, in, in three dimension my clear intention to act in a more skillful way, you know, with less hatred and more understanding, more clarity, yeah? And so I can use a ritual, but it's not the actual ritual itself that does the magic, you know? Uh, like the ritual of marriage, for example. It's not the fact that you do the marriage that's going to provide much, but the actual uh, using the ritual of marriage to say out loud to the, my whole community of my family and, and friends that I'm actually engaging in a, in a long-term... The word that comes to mind is research with one other being, in a long-term, uh, a long-term uh, commitment of, uh, you know, communally de developing beautiful qualities of mind and heart, you know, and caring is actually a very beautiful ritual, but it's not the fact that we, you know, that I was wearing the white dress that will, <laughs> that will uh, make this happen, you know. So that's for the rites and ritual, but uh, uh, what I like to bring in here is the actual, uh, more like uh, the world of conventions, the agreements that we have in society that uh, are... Um, and that's how I like to, to think about this because we cling to this a lot. I'll give you an example. A man was on retreat here and um, was talking to one of the teacher, a monastic, and they were saying, I own a restaurant in town and uh, every week or so there's somebody who comes and does a graffiti, a tag on, my, on the wall in the window of my, uh, the front window of my restaurant and I'm so upset because that's been going on for months, you know, and this is my restaurant. It's against the law, you know, like it doesn't work, you know. And the monastic said to them, look, here we're aiming for a kind of happiness that is un not dependent on circumstances, yeah? And here maybe you have some confusion going on about conventional reality and ultimate reality. In conventional reality, it is your restaurant, you went to sign papers and the, the whole of the community agrees that this is yours. But in reality, in the ultimate sense, it's actually not possible to own a wall or a, a piece of glass. And you need to make the distinction there that the conventional reality exists as long as we agree on it. But if one of us doesn't agree, like you can only drive uh, 65 miles on this uh, highway, 
that's kind of, it's a law. It's not an ultimate reality. It's a conventional. We agree. And we even agreed that if somebody goes above that, they could get a fine. We all agreed on that, you know, and we, so we can decide to play by it or not. But it's not, it doesn't make it to the ultimate level, you know. If, you, if somebody doesn't respect it, it's, it doesn't really exist. It's not a law that is like existing. It's just an agreement, yeah. So he said you have to start to think about conventional reality and ultimate reality. Like, uh, for me, it's my bike. I have a bike at home, and it's my bike. If somebody steals my bike, then I need to... If I'm looking... And, and you can say, like, of course you're going to be upset, Pascal, and it's okay to be upset. It's totally okay. Except that I'm interested in a freedom that is much bigger than, uh, than conventional reality. Yeah? So it means I need to understand deeply, oh, yeah, it was my bike, and actually it wasn't, because it's not possible to own metal like this. Yeah? So, uh, so mm, see in your world where you, you get mixed up in this, where there's clinging, a wrong kind of understanding, or unconventional uh, reality. And that can be a research of a whole lifetime again, but uh, I just wanted to open that door at least. To say like, oh wow, that is that is that is interesting idea to contemplate here or there or there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in this rites and rituals and convention, and that's my own choice. I decide also to include in this clinging to norms and convention, and. Uh, an example for this is a gen gender uh, example. There's Rita, Rita Gross, um, a Buddhist thinker, feminist, and she says, I was reading an article in a, a, ma a Buddhist magazine, and she was saying, I clearly have a female body. There's no doubt about this. And uh, it's very interesting that with this, people will think that I have children, I either want or wanted children, or that I could even have children. And that's actually, none of them are given. It's not because there is a female body there that there is a capacity, a wanting, or that it did happen. And people will often assume that because of this body, the desire is for this other sex, which is not also a given. It could be right, but it could be wrong. That with this form, comes a certain kind of in, uh, interest in some specific things and disinterest in other things, being very specific. And she said, it's, it might not be the case that with this, but so all assumption. And when people suddenly find out that it doesn't match, that this form is not interested in that or doesn't have these qualities that should go with this form, but have other qualities, suddenly they can uh, get a little... Uh, upset, you know, and uh, kind of uh, slightly uh, uh, remem remind me of how I'm supposed to be with this form, you know, the how I'm supposed to behave in this form, you know? So the kind of norms that we can impose, yeah? And the clinging uh, to, uh, to these. Um, and, you know, that's something I'm particularly uh, interested in, and I'm... I'm and I bring it forward because that's an area of uh, interest for me as a gay man. It's something that I have seen since I was born. You know, that actually there was these little heads of, um, you know, with hair that you could actually uh, 
you know, and I really like these, but my world was the world of Tonka, you know, this kind of uh, trucks, you know, and, and I could enjoy it too, but sometimes I was like, I also want to do <laughs> some curls. And it's not a given that a gay man will want to play with, uh, make curls, you know, but I could feel like, like this is out of the range, you know, like if, if there's, you're disturbed if you want to play with this. So the, from very young, there was this, this, this kind of message that was sent to me, you know, you're disturbed here, you know, you're not okay, you're not acceptable, you know. And so, and how, how does this, this, this play in our lives? And how, uh, how do we impose this to other people? Or something about success at school or staying at school or things about like the way it's supposed to be. And when you look in your heart and there's something else that is calling, that is, has value, but it's shut down. It's shut down because that, that's not the norm. That's not the norm. And the norm is pressing on us. So what we want to do in our practice is become aware of norms. And decide if I want to participate in this one. It really fits with my values, with what's in the heart-mind, with what's useful or not. Or I don't want to participate in these norms. You know? And how can I do this without the clinging aspect? That's a whole area of exploration there. Yeah? Okay. So the last one, just a few words maybe on the last, uh, uh, last type of... Um, of clinging, the clinging to me, mine, self. And we already touched on this when I said my bike, yeah? So when there's this kind of clinging, uh, there's going to be suffering. Maybe I'll... um, So there's four ways in which we can, uh, we tend to cling to things or experience as being mine. Listen to this. So whatever is in your experience be it a thought, an emotion, your body, uh, your partner, uh, um, your TV, uh, whatever it is, you either cling to it as mine or I, as first one is, it's me. This body is me. And you might not feel the hurt in this. But it says that if there is truly uh, identification, like that this is really me, there's going to be suffering somewhere at some time because this is going to change. So it's either me, this body is me, these thoughts are me, um, or it's mine. That's another uh, permutation of this. It's my bike, it's my emotions, it's my thoughts. Or the other one, it's, it's inside of me. You know, So the thoughts are inside of me. You know, uh, the emotions are inside of me. The consciousness is inside of me. Or I'm inside it. It's, I'm not the body, Pascal. I'm not the body. I know that there is a body, but I'm inside it, though. You know? <laughs> so these are all the... F- Apparently, there's no other ways to, to cling to things, to ap- do appropriation or possession or identification. Just these four. It's me, it's mine, I'm in it, or it's inside of me. And all these versions can have delusion in them if the, the clinging is really tr- uh, true. And I just want to point to the freedom that can come from, oh, here's anger. Anger is here. What do I do with this? Oh, generosity is here. If there is this little perversion of mine, of identifying, generosity arise, I'm so generous. Always been generous. I'm a generous person. 
And so in the Buddhist understanding of things, it's in my, un, in my understanding of it, it's very, very simplified. You can drop the whole me-mind story and just say, what's here? Is it beneficial? Do I want to cultivate this? Is it unbeneficial? Do I want to help release it as much as possible? So generosity arises. Oh, here's generosity. How can I act on this? It's beautiful. I recognize it as beautiful. Ears is uh, resentment. Resentment is difficult. How can I care about this? It's a difficult state of mind to be in. I don't want to entertain this. I want to release it as much as possible. Maybe by speaking up, maybe by engaging, maybe by doing an inner work of releasing resentment. But no need to own any of this. Just a recognition. It's a whole other frame of mind. It's, uh, the invitation is let go put down the glasses of me, mine, and what I want, and put this down, and just put the glasses of what is here? Is this wholesome or unwholesome? How can I assist uh, getting rid of this? <laughs> or how can I cultivate that? Yeah. So it's not denial. And so this, to me, is a, a clear expression of the, the middle way, the middle path, where you don't... Um, cling, own, identify, guilt yourself around or get arrogant about or pride about. You just recognize that something is there. And in the other extreme would be to actually not care about, you know, it's not mine, so I'm going to lash out all my anger here or all my, you know. And so the middle path is just to recognize what is here and what do I do with this. That's one way to, uh, to uh, think about this anyway. Hmm. There was a lot of uh, ideas. Huh? And so these are pr probably just pointers, and you're going to hear more about these ideas and reflect uh, for them uh, uh, on them yourself, and also through meditation, uh, recognize uh, some of this, these things, uh, and then work with them. Yeah. Um. And the Buddha here is saying, if it were not possible to free the heart from entanglement and greed, hatred and fear, I would not teach you to do so. So it's totally possible to clarify more and more where clinging is happening, how it can be released, and how it's actually serving my own good and the good of others. It's something that is totally uh, possible to do. Yeah? And uh, that's what we're doing here this week. So, uh, maybe we can uh, just close our eyes for a few seconds. And let the words uh, evaporate or dissipate. And again, this quote that uh, we've heard a few times now from Dory. My friends, it is through the establishment of the lovely clarity of mindfulness that you can let go of grasping after past and future, overcome attachment and grief, abandon all clinging and anxiety, and awaken an unshakable freedom of heart.
here and now. And may we do this for our own benefit and for the safety and protection and ease of all beings. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.